Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where we are interviewing the best minds in functional medicine. And of course, today is no exception. I am very excited to be sitting here with the uh, co-founder of Amazentes. Let me give you his background, and we're going to jump right into some very cool science. Uh, Dr. Chris Rinch is co-founder and president of Amazentis for more than 20 years. He's been an innovator in the life sciences arena. Before founding Amazentis in 2007, Rinch worked in venture capital, investing in pioneering life sciences companies in the nutrition space. Uh, he also invested in biotech uh, and worked on developing cell-based therapies at the Swiss biotech company Isotis SA, formerly Modex. Uh, Rinch has authored original publications in top-tier journals such as Nature Medicine, Nature Metabolism, JAMA Open, and many others. Uh, and this is focusing on his research on urolithin A, mitochondrial health, muscle function, and joint health. He's also an inventor on several internationally filed and granted patents. Uh, he has an MBA in, from INSEAD in France, a PhD in cell and molecular biology from the University of Lausanne, and a master's in science in bio, biomedical engineering from UT Southwestern Medical Center, and a bachelor of science in engineering from Harvey Mudd College. Welcome to New Frontiers, Chris. Thanks, Kara. Uh, Thanks for having me here uh, today. You know, your background is really impressive and it just begs, you know, the question of, you know, a little bit of your origin story. I mean, how you ended up founding Amazentis and really kind of lighting on your Alithine. You, you've been up to a lot of interesting stuff in your life. Well, it, it's, I, I think the origin of Amazentis comes uh, and, and timeline uh, comes from my immediate previous experience where I was in venture space, looking at nutrition and investing in, in a lot of different nutrition companies and thinking about um, health and, and wellness, sort of looking forward and how can we, how can we have products that are, that, that are really scientifically based and clinically assessed to actually improve your livelihood, you know, throughout your life, um, versus a lot of the nutritional products that we have today. That that essentially, it's it's kind of taking a trust me approach. Yeah, and, and you're really not sure. You you take them and you hope for the best, and and so that was sort of the 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 origins of you know let's let's take the tools that scientists are using to discover new drugs. And, uh, and apply that to the foods that we eat and start, you know, taking a, a, a deeper dive into what compounds are found in the different foods and sort of linking them to biological pathways and particularly pathways that are associated with cellular health and well-being and aging as a whole. That's so interesting. I mean, so when you founded Amazontist, had you, had you already identified your A and just kind of put your rally your focus around that or were you looking at you know many other molecules at that time well actually we started you know looking at it, it was really more of a, a concept at that time let's let's try and identify those foods and those bioactives in the foods that we eat uh, that could have the biggest impact on health and so we started exploring we cast the net uh, and looked at a number of different uh, types of food products, and but one of those was the pomegranate, and so that's really how it how it started. There was a lot of um, a lot of talk around the pomegranate and and um, and, and antioxidant effects of the pomegranate at the time, and and so we wanted to dig a little bit deeper to see if this was more than just a marketing story for to sell juice, and and there was something really behind it. And so we looked at the pomegranate as well as a number of other uh, foods at that time. It's so impressive. I mean, you guys cast a really wide, well, first of all, you set a really high bar. Let's just make people healthier. In fact, you know, fundamentally, it sounds like you are asking, you know, the question that's on everyone's mind now, which is, you know, how do we slow aging? How do we reverse it? You know, how do you, I mean, you were really asking these big lofty questions and, Let's apply, you know, I think it's awesome that you take the power of science and, and you, you light it onto nutrition. I mean, it's, it, you know, that's, I think my, our field functional medicine, we, we really embrace 
that lens. And so, you know, it's exciting for us to see what you've been doing and how you've been thinking. Well, thanks. We were very excited at the onset. We and now, I mean, even more excited by what we've um, what we found and and all the work that sort of progressed over since the the origins of the company. Well, you know, I want to jump around. I've got a bunch of questions. There's a lot to talk right. about here, but I I just feel like we might as well go to the origin story, like to the to the to discovering urolithin A, and like let's talk about the lab of Johan Auerworks. Am I, I'm, I'm, I think I didn't say his last name correctly, but let's just talk about it. Let's just talk sure. about how you guys got your olefin A. <laughs> well, well, it really started with this, um, you know, us taking a look at the pomegranate and, and we were really curious to know uh, what was inside of the pomegranate. And so we, we went through a whole process of uh, actually even purchasing pomegranates, juicing them, uh, understanding what compounds were inside. Um, and then, doing this, uh, what we call in, in science, a, a, a bio-guided fractionation, which basically means sort of exploding the pomegranate in, in terms of, of all the compounds that are found inside of that, and then starting to test those different compounds in, in different, um, well, in the lab on, on cells to see what type of potential benefits they have. And then we sort of take that to the next step and then take that into, into mice. And in this case, early on in the company, we were looking at uh, behavioral effects on memory. Uh, and, and this led us down the pathway of looking at a class of compounds that are called the elagitanins that are found yeah. in the pomegranate. And, and more specifically, there is one elagitanin in the pomegranate that's um, known as punicalogen. It's the most abundant one. And so we started testing that and we were, start, we were beginning to see some some very interesting um, effects on actually the behavior and memory in a mouse model of Alzheimer's disease at the time. And so we started we started from that and, and started asking ourselves a little bit more questions about you know, this compound, how, how is it um, transformed uh, when you consume it? What is, what is sort of that whole pathway? Let me just, well, let me ask you that. Like, how were you administering it in these animal studies? Were you, you know, were you injecting it? I mean, or were you administering it orally? And when, why were you got, why did you start thinking about that? Like, why did you think about the, 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 the gut systemic interaction or the transformation by the microbiome? What prompted you to think about it with these, with these compounds in pomegranate? Or were you already aware of the transformative microbiome, you know, activating these. So yeah, curious about, about that. Well, well, it's always been about this concept that we, we wanted to identify um, different types of bioactives, polyphenols that are, that we could put into food. So it, we wanted products that were working and, it, you know, that could integrate into your diet, whether it was a food or a supplement. And so uh, in terms of the administration, it has always been um, through a, a oral administration um, that, that we've been delivering, uh, in this case, uh, punicalogen. And to your question about urolithin A, uh, we, we had, of course, there, there was knowledge and, and there were um, scientists that had been studying just the, the metabolism of various uh, foods that you eat, whether they're walnuts, um, certain types of berries like raspberry and pomegranates and in humans just to see sort of what transpires when you consume these products and and the polyphenols and you know where do they end up and and there was this um understanding that some people can um actually transform and we'll get that transform these these compounds uh, that are called lagitanins into other compounds that are called urolithins through the, the gut microflora. And so at that time, uh, no one was really thinking about these um, uh, metabolites or, or we call them postbiotics as actives, but more as just the body's way of just eliminating the, the polyphenols that are found in, in the foods. And so that, that sort of, it, it, that coming back to your question of how did we land on Eurolithne, it was really this, you know, taking this, this very um, thoughtful approach as to which compounds 
might emerge if you were to consume uh, these starting compounds, in this case, um, punic halogen. And then, so then you had some, well, you would, I mean, you probably were working with mice and then you were seeing the transformation into the urolithins and other compounds, I'm sure. Yeah. And then- yeah, so 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 exactly so what we what we started doing is we we took that sort of it was a certain leap of faith at a, at a moment where we said okay well i wonder if uh these compounds are actually bioactive uh versus just something that the body is eliminating and so we then started taking a, a closer look at them and uh and so just to maybe to go backwards a, a little bit before we jump into uh urolith and what's what's interesting is that you know when you're consuming whether it's animals or or humans when you're consuming uh, pomegranates or walnuts or raspberries or any of these foods that contain these elagitanins they're transformed by the gut microflora so the bacteria that are in, inside of our gut uh, into uh, urolithins, which are uh, postbiotic, and in particular, uh, urolithin A. But in fact, there's only about, let's say, 30 to 40% of the population that's able to make that uh, transformation. So it's something, and that was what was very interesting when we were studying that and understanding it's not really, you aren't, you aren't what you eat, you, you, you're a combination of, you know, what you eat plus um, your whole body's uh, ability to transform that and, and to assimilate those nutrients. It's kind of extraordinary, you know? So in the animal model, is it similar? Like some some mice can make these, these urolithin A compounds, some mice don't or to varying degrees of efficiency. And then you had to get in there and look at look at the compounds individually and see, you know, who's doing the heavy lifting. Well, I, I, well, we didn't spend actually we didn't spend too much time uh, assessing the metabolism of mice, but we we quickly you know after we we started testing some of these um, well in this case urolithin A in uh, on cell models uh, and and showing its bioactivity, we quickly focused in on on that molecule and to try and understand what it was doing, and so. I think one of the first things that we we were doing, and this is you had mentioned the lab of um, Professor Johan Oworks here at the EPFL. He's a specialist in mitochondrial biology. Uh, I, I provided him uh, a few of these compounds, and he tested that on his and some of the models that he uses. And he came back and said, "You know, what what exactly did you give me here?" And uh, and and that was what was really interesting that he saw this improvement in mitochondria function in these cell models that he hadn't really seen before. It was at a, at a different level. And so one of the one of the areas and one of the one of the ways he studies uh, mitochondria function and aging is using a model that's uh, called the C. elegant model, which is a worm that has a very short uh, lifetime and lifespan. And so uh, by administering uh, co bioactive compounds to these uh, worms, you can see their effect on, on uh, health and longevity by just simply monitoring their lifespan and their prolongation of their lifespan and, and also sort of the movement of these worms uh, with time. And so what he saw was that um, that urolithin A was having this dramatic impact on the lifespan of worms and also on just the worm's ability to, you know, to move with time as they got older. And, you know, we compare that when you, when you think of these, um, these different ways of, of assessing the lifespan or different types of interventions that you can make um, that would improve the lifespan and the health span um, and we like to think of things on, on terms of health span and not lifespan yeah. and we'll talk a little bit more about the difference of that. Um, but, you know, the caloric restriction, for example, has been shown to improve the, um, the lifespan of these worms, uh, dramatically by around 50%. But when, uh, urolithin A was, uh, provided, 
we were seeing an extension of lifespan by about 45%. And then when you start looking at other compounds that are having an impact on similar pathways, but not identical ones, um, like resveratrol, for example, you see mm -hmm. uh, improvement by about 15% and, and that sort of order of magnitude. So this was really something at a different level. And it was that, that it was these findings in the lab that, that really caused us to sort of what, you know, think about what could, you know, what could this be used for? What type of health benefits should we be looking at? And uh, and quickly we we started looking at, uh, at at actually skeletal muscle function because it was so easy to monitor and to measure uh, as as animals got older. And it was and animals are you know do follow a similar pattern as. Um, as us uh, humans in terms of, you know, as they get older, their muscle function declines, they're not as active. And, and so we started studying that. Fascinating story. Thank you for, for unpacking all of it. What, how extraordinary and how exciting. So basically you had this like caloric restriction mimetic, at least in the C. elegans model. That's amazing. Cause I mean, I think caloric restriction is sort of the considered to be really one of the, the strongest or one of the strongest interventions to date. And so um, those er, er, early studies must have been just tremendously exciting. And you were extending, obviously, as you pointed out, they were moving, the worms were moving and, you know, they were high functioning. So health span and lifespan, um, right. just a really neat, neat finding. Yeah. And, and I, and I think, you know, going into the when we saw it moving into a rodent model, which was so powerful, was to see the um, the translation from from different you know from different species going from the C. elegans worms to yeah. mice to see that they were able to. I mean, in, our, in some of the first studies, we were showing improvement in in muscle strength by around ten percent, improving in um, in running endurance by over forty percent. Um, and and just duration that the animals would run it was it was very um, yeah very impressive and and this is what you know when we saw this you know the translation of these findings and the translation of the biology into mammals we decided that that this is something exciting and that we should actually take it to that next level and, and investigate that in in humans yeah hundred percent so um, I just want to I just want to say that. You know, first of all, you guys spent a lot of time in the, you know, researching, you know, you founded your company in 2007. So I just, I just want to point that out to listeners. You'll see a pretty lengthy bibliography of, you know, effort, careful effort in, in defining this molecule. The other thing that I wanted to point out, or just ask you, I have a couple questions, so I'll put them out there is, you know, there are other urolithins and urolithin A is the one that you've uh, found to be most potent. And I know sometimes in human, and, and also this was the other piece, so I'll throw this in there. We're not all making urolithin A. I, I've tested myself through, you know, using, using your lab um, and I make some, I was really excited to see that I make some. However, I don't make uh, a therapeutic amount because I measured after I actually used your product after I took, took the timeline product. And, you know, obviously I was, I was moving a whole lot more out after that. So even when we make, so some, many of us don't make it. And those of us that do make it, I would, I would say that it's the rare individual that's actually making sufficient quantities to exert the influence that you were seeing. Um, so other urolithin A compounds, uh, excuse me, other urolithin compounds and, um, you know, just thinking a little bit about our ability to make a, a therapeutic amount. Yeah, sure. So uh, there are an, a number of different um, variants of, of urolithins. I mean, as a class, they're called the urolithins. And and basically, they're, it's just slight modifications of the molecule. And it's due to variations in our uh, gut microbiome. And and there's been uh, there are scientists out there that have just focused on trying to understand, you know, what is actually um, uh, well, uh, what what percentage of the population can make different variants and and what are and just sort of identifying and describing all those variants. What what we um, 
the process that we took uh, that we followed was was really to, to first of all we focused on urolithin A because it was one of the the most commonly seen uh, variants found uh, in those people who are actually able to convert uh, the elagitans or elagic acid um, into uh, urolithins, and we've studied. Um, basically four of the urolithins, um, this urolithin A, B, C, and D. And, and what we saw was that urolithin A in, in, a, in a laboratory uh, setting on cells was the most potent. And so, and, and the fact that this was the most predominantly observed in the population, we felt that this was the most appropriate one to, to look at and take a deeper, a deeper dive. Okay, good. Yeah, I, people have asked me about that. And I know that there is some, you know, biological benefit in the other urolithins. They've been studied, but it, but I, um, it's, it's, yeah, my understanding was that they're, that they are less impactful based on your research. Um, so you nailed, so from the, from the get-go, you knew that it seemed like urolithin A was working its magic within, in mitochondria specifically. Is that, is that true or was that a kind of a journey? And, and is that why you started to focus on muscle and then, you know, let's, um, Kind of move over into talking about some of the human uh yeah well it was the, it, it was a journey I, I have to say i mean when we started we we saw this effect as, a, as i was mentioning on memory and then we we went to try and understand a little and dig down a little bit deeper to understand how it was working we saw this effect on on improved mitochondria function but but we then we had to take that next leap uh in terms of effort to understand actually what was it doing to improve mitochondria function and uh and so this was this was quite a journey to to sort of tease out those mechanisms of action and this was done uh in the laboratory of Johan Ulrich as we were speaking about before and and I think what was what was exciting was the discovery that was made there um together we we basically identified that it was stimulating a process uh, called mitophagy. And mitophagy is part of this process. Um, it's a sort of a, a subset of a bigger process inside of the cell that's called autophagy. And, 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 and what this is, is the cleaning up of, of cellular waste or garbage and the recycling of it. And so when we think of mitophagy, we think of the cleaning up of damaged mitochondria and allowing those damaged mitochondria to be um, broken down, recycled, and then healthier mitochondria to be um, created. So to maintain this, this high uh, functioning mitochondria level inside of your cells. And so we've been talking here about mitochondria without sort of going into the details of what they're doing and how they're helping people. And for those of who don't know, yeah. mitochondria are sort of the basically the 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 power plant inside of our cells is they're like the they're like the little batteries that provide the energy. And that energy is used for all of these cellular processes inside the cell uh, and and keeping the cell functioning. And so when your mitochondria function decline, uh, it's not really good for your cells um, to start with, but then the the tissues that are made up of these cells start stop functioning as, as well as they do uh, normally. But going back to mitophagy and and sort of that journey, we we did we did a, a, performed a lot of studies to try and understand this process, and and it was exciting to see that urolithin A stimulates this process of uh, mitophagy and uh, and this basically allows the mitochondria when they're producing energy they get damaged and it allows uh, that damaged mitochondria to be uh, basically sequestered uh, recycled and then um, and then you have a, a lot of healthier uh, mitochondria inside and and the results of these studies uh, were published in uh, Nature Medicine, and and the reason for that, it, it, we this was the first uh, compound, a natural one too, uh, and very safe that was shown to actually induce mitophagy and an induced mitophagy in in animals when 
when fed to the animals. So that was a pretty exciting finding. Really exciting. And, um, you know, it goes going back to the C. elegans studies. I mean, it explains health span and lifespan. I mean, because, uh, you know, my, my top healthy mitophagy, the ability to recycle, and it's not just getting rid of the old mitochondria, uh, because, you know, then we run out of mitochondria eventually, but it's the renewal. It's the renewal journey. I think it's incredibly important to sort of underlay that and highlight it and exclamation point it. This renewal journey is stimulated by um, the urolithin A molecule, and that's why they lived longer and healthier and moved better, and the mice had better memory, you know, and all of these things, like this extraordinary far-reaching effect. Mitophagy is a hallmark of the breakdown in mitophagy um, is a key hallmark of aging. I mean, this drives the aging journey forward. You know, we can, I mean, scientists can go in and mess up mitophagy and basically make whatever they're studying old, you know, so it's just this fundamental process that we need to get right. I mean, it makes sense that you would jump over to looking at muscle because of course, muscle are dense with mitochondria and you would really probably end it. And you said that it was easy to, to research that organ, but you know, mitochondria are everywhere. Like it makes sense. You know, the brain is a pretty energy dense uh, organ and it makes sense that you would see benefit there. And God, I bet some of those early studies when you were exploring, you know, you were seeing some pretty neat stuff mechanistically. Um, any comments there, or we can just yeah. sort of move into. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I think that th- that was uh, that was really what um, caused us to transition and 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 go on to to humans basically and start in- investigating this in humans and and that's been a, a pretty exciting journey in itself. That's you know yeah. going from Huge. from a mouse to to uh, to a human is a is a big step and. And as we know, not everything that 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 shows some type of positive effect in mice will translate into humans. Probably um, most fail, yeah, right? Yeah, but you guys yeah. started with something that was consumed, like what was considered a healthy uh, food in humans, and then yeah. kind of worked backwards. Yeah, and and the and the nice, I mean, I think the nice thing is we're talking about something that you said healthy. This is coming from the pomegranate, you know, and and different types of nuts and berries and you know, the world's population has been consuming this since the dawn of time. And, and, you know, so the, in in terms of the safety profile, you can't really ask for a better safety profile than this. And, and so that gives you this comfort, uh, at least, you know, when you go into humans and you test something in humans. And so, you know, we did that, these first tests and, and the first tests were really designed to see the translatability, but also to to understand potential dosing levels. That was uh, my question. Yeah. And, so and so yeah. So we went through this this whole process of you know testing at different doses, escalating the dose, must taking a uh, the same approach that even a pharma company would would take with a, a new uh, drug, where you would you would go in and you would carefully uh, titrate that dose to try and identify the one that's having, you know, the right effects and the right benefits. And this is all part of our, you know, approach of raising that bar uh, in terms of the the level of science uh, to be used on nutritional products. And and so that first study uh, we showed that, um, and and it was very, it was very interesting because it was one, one month long study and we were looking at doses um, escalating the doses. And we found that 500 milligrams uh, taken daily for one month was having an impact on mitochondrial function uh, in the skeletal muscle. So we, we, we looked at, um, at biopsies. So we took biopsies before uh, the administering the urolithin A to volunteers and then after a month, and then we looked at the gene expression patterns. And what we saw was that there was an upregulation of mitochondrial genes. And, and this, is, uh, this is clearly linked to an improvement in what they call uh, mitochondrial biogenesis, which is the creation of more mitochondria. And so uh, a hallmark of sort of healthy mitochondria. And, uh, and we saw other, um, uh, effects in terms of biomarkers that were circulating, and 
And so it was at this point, we, you know, in identifying those doses that we said, okay, now we can start looking at, let's say the physiological impact on muscle uh, at these doses um, and giving that over a longer period of time. And so that's when we started um, to, to do some uh, studies that were longer in duration, running studies that were two, four months long and uh, and looking at the impact of, uh, of urolithin A uh, after these time periods. And so uh, one of the first studies that we did was uh, in uh, middle-aged, um, healthy uh, individuals, but who were um, sedentary and overweight. And, and we looked after four months of administering urolithin A, at 500 milligrams, uh, and we and and also one gram on a daily basis, and and you know this is where we saw something that was very exciting. We saw that we had an improvement in muscle strength by about 10 percent uh, following this daily administration. And this isn't, I mean, mostly when you think of you know improving uh, muscle strength, you know, really you need to think about you know actually doing some type of physical. Yes. Uh, exercise um, to to do that and doing that on a repeated basis. But in this case, we're looking at individuals who were sedentary and overweight and how we saw this improvement. And that was um, and that was really a, a big breakthrough. And that caused us to also, you know, start to, you know, explore that in other uh, in, in other populations and older populations that we saw after two months um, in, a, in an older population that was um, uh, 65 uh, and older, looking at people who had uh, a decrease in, uh, in mitochondrial function at the onset. We saw an improvement in muscle endurance and the hand muscle. And so the, they call that this first interosseous muscle and also in the leg muscle uh, after a period of two months. And so that was also, um, you know, a very exciting finding. And, you know, essentially, we started to see after a, a number of different uh, clinical studies, we started seeing, um, you know, one study after another sort of confirming uh, the s similar types of benefits from different angles. So, which was, um, you know, uh, pretty, pretty exciting to see. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like you, you guys just had sort of a ride, you know, just more and more excitement. I mean, there must have been some sort of failures or something along the way. I'd love, to, I mean, we don't have enough time in this podcast, but it just seems like step after step after step was just sort of expanding, you know, how extraordinary this molecule is. Well, well we've been, you know, we've been fortunate to, you know, that actually the the science is, um, is really solid and there's, yeah. And when you look at in the literature, you know, since we started publishing, there's been uh, a number of other labs out there that have published uh, and have explored the, the benefits of urolithin A and different animal models, all sort of linked to mitochondrial function. We were talking about it and you were mentioning it earlier. Mitochondria are found in basically all of our cells with the exception of the red blood cells. And so, you know, if you improve mitochondrial function, you're going to improve not only your you know, your muscle cells, as we were speaking about, we were also talking about brain, um, you know, your cardiac uh, muscle is, is another muscle, um, you know, your, you know, it's just, and, and even lung function, of, I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. gastrointestinal function, I mean, the, you know, the, the, the cell, the enterocytes turn over like so rapidly. I mean, all of these energy demanding. Um, and so, yeah, it's very exciting. And so right now we're, I mean, we're, you know, we've started with muscle, but now we're expanding into new areas. And, and one of that, one of those new areas that we're looking at is uh, immune health. And so this is going to be our, our first study in immune health, where we're looking at uh, individuals who are taking our product for a month and doing a, a very um, uh, in-depth characterization of the impact of urolithin A on, uh, on immune cells. Uh, because there's been um, some some very interesting effects on sort of um, reversing immune aging in in animals, uh, and so we want to explore that in humans and see how that might um, be beneficial. Can you speak to any specifics, like what kind of cells you're seeing uh, change 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think that for the, in, in the human studies, we, you know, we haven't, we're in the process of, of conducting the clinical study. And so we'll have data next year to talk about what's in, what's being impacted at the human level, but mm-hmm. you know, what we see and, and what, and, and this is work that's done in with collaborators, we see an effect on, uh, on T memory cells, uh, an improvement there. And then awesome. and generally it's sort of a, a, an impact on, uh, on, uh, the immune cells themselves and this whole immune aging and sort of reversing this immune aging, but this is only in, I, I should caveat all this is all in, in mice right now. And that's the reason why we're going and, and, and we're currently doing this test, uh, uh, in a clinical study in humans. And we do the, all of our clinical studies are double blind, placebo controlled, uh, randomized studies, um, with the intention of, of trying to really understand how these work. Now I talked to, to, to Anurag and, um, we, we were, I mean, you're partnering with a lot of universities you're doing, your research is being conducted on this molecule, um, all over the world in some really interesting uh, applications. I think, well, cardiovascular disease, to your point, I think some neurodegenerative conditions are being investigated, if I'm not mistaken, and maybe, and these are in humans. Can you speak to some of those uh, partnerships that you're doing? Sure. So, I mean, we I was just mentioning a, a, a study that we are doing uh, over in, in Germany right now on the immune system. And and this is something that we're actually um, doing with the, the same professors who have published a study uh, last year uh, on mice in the journal Immunity, where they were showing mechanistically how it was improving immune cells. And so we decided to, to advance that into humans. And um, you were speaking about brain. Brain, of course, is something very interesting to us. And you know anything that we do on uh, in in humans is all in healthy people. So um, we're not looking at neurodegeneration. We're looking at the impact of, um, you know, on on healthy people and and how it can improve, um, you know, brain function, cognition, et cetera. And and this is something that we plan to do in the future. We're currently not conducting any studies uh, on the brain yet, but it's it's part of the, the long list of, of different types of um, benefits that you know y- you want to improve um, and, and prevent from deteriorating as you get older. Yeah. So I mean that's that's what's what's it really exciting there. I think one of the other areas that we've been you know that we've been working on that's that's very uh, fascinating is you know going and you know focusing on on administering urolithinate in another way, and that's also topically. And so, <laughs> you know, we've been all about nutrition and, you know, we we tend to think um, about, you know, everything that you eat should be improving your health. Uh, and that sort of as that way of, uh, of having an intervention. But topical application is is very important for improving your skin health. And what, can you just give me the backstory on that? I mean, I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan. I use I use you know the 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 topical urolithin A, the timeline product, every day. You know, I'm I'm a huge fan of it. But and how did you did you just did it just make sense to you that a topical application could work? And I mean, what's the backstory on that? Well, you know, several years ago, we we were thinking about you know what are all of the different potential applications and. And as we were speaking, you know, mitochondria are, are in all the different cell types. And, and I thought, you know, it would be interesting if we could put this topically. And so we started, uh, we started sort of exploring that, looking at that on, on skin cells in, in, in vitro to see if we were going to have an impact on, uh, on skin cells too. And, and of course we were starting to see that as well. And so we said, well, let's take a look and see what type of impact we can have when we apply that on onto skin. And so, um, so we developed some, uh, some formulations and you were mentioning that, you know, in one of your earlier podcasts, you had our chief medical officer, uh, Dr. Anurag Singh and, and, uh, and he, he basically, you know, 
worked on coming up with different types of clinical studies to evaluate the skin cream uh, and show that it show its different benefits. And, you know, taking into account the types of benefits that we were seeing in cells and humans when administered orally. And, and you know, one of those uh, being an impact on mitochondria health. And the other um, that we continue to see is this impact on inflammation. Uh, and 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 so we we started taking a look at both of those. And 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 so what's I mean, what's fascinating, most most people when they think of of skin creams, they think of cosmetics, and, and we like to think of our product more as skin health. Uh, because it's it's not just about the cosmetic appearance. Of course, that's very important, but it's also about sort of the fundamental skin health, and and it all starts at the cellular level. And you know, as we were just speaking earlier about you know organ and tissue, and that starting at the cellular level, it's the same thing in the skin. And when you can apply it right to your skin, you know you know right where it's going, um, and there's no um, yeah, there's no mystery there. So, um, and and this is and this way we've been able to study things quite uh, effectively and and look at the effect on on inflammations or post UV exposure, um, and we see an impact on on that sort of reduction of inflammation post UV exposure. We've also been able to look at at just generally the the effect on mitochondria function. And skin cells, um, and then also uh, the impact that it has on on other um, on other uh, pathways inside of the cells, including uh, collagen production, et cetera. And and then you know, of course, the question is, well, do I see anything different when I look in the mirror? And and yes, the I think that's one of the exciting things too is that you do see uh, an impact on your your skin, you see, uh, I think one of the, the notable things is you, you do see an impact on wrinkles in your skin. Not that I would call this a, a wrinkle cream, but, and that's because it's, it's acting at that, you know, fundamentally at the cellular level and, and having that impact on the, on the structure and, you know, and, and the health cells. Yeah. Yeah. And when do you see this? When do you actually see these changes? Like what kind of, what kind of turnaround, what kind of time does one need to invest? And Well, you know, with the products that we've developed, we start to see uh, benefits uh, as early as two weeks, uh, yeah. which is, which is quite, um, quite quick when you, when you yeah. consider, you know, how with, with respect to the oral nutrition products that, you know, this is, you know, changing your cells and, and and getting them to sort of function differently and the tissues to function differently. It's not, it's not something that's overnight. So, right. you know, it does take time and, um, and regular application. That's, um, it's exciting. Yeah. I, I've, I've been pretty, uh, pretty happy with the products myself. <laughs> I mean, you know, I've, I, I think that I, well, maybe we, I, I, I was aware of your company for quite a while and just really, you know, wondering, paying attention to some of the science you were doing. And so it's really kind of an honor to, you know, to be connected with you now and, and um, yeah, just continuing to participate in, in, you know, learning and sharing the science that you're doing. I, I have a couple of other just kind of fundamental questions. Um, how did you light on the dose? Actually, so I have a few questions. I'll throw them out there. Sure. Why are you limiting to healthy populations? Will you move away from that model? Curious about that dosing. So you're, I think, I, I think a gram tends to be the most efficacious. Uh, if I'm not, well, correct me if I'm wrong. And then, did you try? Were there any side effects at any of the amounts of dosing that that that, that you experimented with? Because my experience is then it's been it's incredibly well tolerated. I'm a clinician in practice, and I, you know, I prescribe this to my patients, and you know. It's just it's a non-issue for everyone, even even some of the most sensitive of individuals that I have. Yeah, well, maybe I start, you know, with, with your last question <laughs> go backwards. Um, so we were talking about the safety level before. Now, you know, I mean, there's just historically, uh, people have been taking different types of foods um, for you know centuries uh, that contain or or that sorry that administer. Uh, the precursors, these elagitanins that yield urolithins. So, 
and and so this is also a, a very positive thing and that we see that there's you know this is very safe in general that there's a there's a long history of exposure uh, and there's a lot of safety when there's been even publications um, not by our company but by by other um, scientists academic scientists where they've uh, looked at uh, women who are consuming pomegranate juice and they found urolithin A and in uh, breast milk. Um, so, I mean, this is this is something that's been exposed uh, naturally to the population for you know for as long as we can think. And yeah. um, but you know, back to the the question of the dosing, uh, we did look uh, at at dosing. And we've looked at, at different dosing levels. Uh, 500 milligrams is a dose that we saw after one month uh, was having a measured, measurable impact on mitochondrial function. Uh, 500 milligrams uh, is also improving muscle function after four months. So uh, it's, it's, wow. my th it's, it's my understanding and through all the science that we've done that, that 500 milligrams is really a, a dose that you can rely on to see a functional impact um, and to and to experience that functional impact. And so, um, yeah, we have. It's true we have run a, um, a few studies at a higher dose, and and sometimes we do run studies at higher doses and let's say a more um, in in certain populations. For example, we ran. Uh, a study looking at uh, elite and sub-elite athletes. Um, and we studied that over a period of one month and instead of a period of, of several months. And so we wanted to understand, you know, what impact we would have on this population. And, and this, is, um, this is research that has been presented uh, earlier this year. Uh, and, and what we saw was that there was an impact on muscle recovery uh, following these different types of uh, trainings and 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 in, in this case uh, uh, runs that that were done over a, a period of three months and and the perceived effort and then different biomarkers of um, that were linked to muscle recovery. So um, yeah, I mean there there might there may be situations where a higher dose may provide or, or you know offer. Um, uh, benefits if taken in a shorter period of time, but uh, we like to recommend the 500 milligram dose because we've studied that now and, and we've seen some very reliable results. Good. That's great to hear. Yeah. And um, side effects. Yeah. side. We haven't seen any side effects. I mean, we've, um, you know, we've had now um, tens of thousands of people who have been taking it uh, uh as customers. And then we've had hundreds of people who have been taking it as, you know, in the context of very carefully studied clinical trials that have been, you know, as I said, double blind placebo controlled studies, uh, where we take a look at, at all types of panels of biomarkers and, and uh, in the blood, et cetera. And, and we have never seen uh, a side effect. Yeah. It's it's, I mean, again, this is a molecule we evolved with, you yeah. know, it seems mm -hmm. like we evolved with that kind of information to sort of direct <laughs> well, you know, it, molecular it, traffic. <laughs> well, you're, you're right. It's, it's an interesting observation that somehow, you know, our, our intestinal um, flora has evolved to extract the benefits of these compounds found in the pomegranate and walnuts and other berries and transform them from these large complex molecules into these simpler structures that have this impact on mitochondria um, and, and that improve mitochondria and that are absorbed into the body. So it, it's, it's fascinating to see this sort of evolution um, that, that we have and that the, the microflora has has had to be able to um yeah you know to extract those benefits yeah yeah it's this incredible like you know gaia hypothesis the symbiotic <laughs> you know interaction of of you know from 
or where we came evolutionarily. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's pretty neat. And it's, it's nice, you know, so we knew everybody, you know, we knew these were superfoods, pomegranates, walnuts, et cetera. We've known these were superfoods. Uh, and, and as you said, they've been eating, we've been consuming them across culture, cultures for millennia. And so now to apply the scientific lens to it, to actually be able to see at this level what's happening, you know, right down to the to the to the microbiome, transforming it and what it's doing systemically. It's just really it's an exciting place to be in. And it certainly is really validating the importance of nutrition. And, you know, this is I mean, it's you know, it comes back to our earlier you know, earlier parts of our discussion, this, you know, what is that next level of nutrition, this sort yeah. of nutrition 2.0. And, and that's, you know, it's more than just, you know, eating healthy, eating healthy and eating a Mediterranean diet is very important, but you know, what, what might be the future of nutrition? And, you know, we all want to maintain ourselves at our peak throughout our life. And, you know, and if we can eat foods with, the right type of bioactives that, you know, have been studied um, and at the right dose to have a specific benefit that sort of map to what our needs are, our health needs are. This is great because it empowers us and we're not, we don't have to wait until we get sick, you know, because most of the conditions of aging are sort of slow degenerative conditions. So I call them degenerative diseases, whether it's sarcopenia or or other types of uh, diseases that are degenerative of nature with with old age. And so if you can take things earlier that, that, you know, and throughout your life that are preventative in nature and help keep your cells functioning at their peak, you know, there's probably a, a pretty good chance that, you know, that that you can slow down that process and that you can help, you know, live a, a healthier and yeah, and more fulfilling life as, as you get older. And this is back to that whole health span versus lifespan that you really want to be able to, you know, maintain that your your health span at its at its peak. Um, so you can have a you know a great quality life. Yeah. Amen to that. Um, well, Chris, it's been just, it's just been a great conversation. I mean, this was a lot of fun. I can't, I did there's, is the, well, I mean, I will say, you know, I, my, one of my areas, my passion areas has been, you know, epigenetics and specifically looking at the nutrition uh -huh. influence on the epigenome. And of course, you know, there is, uh, I, 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 urolithin A has to be an epinutrient rock star, in my opinion. I mean, we know, the precursor molecules have influence on the epigenome. And that is, you know, one of the hallmarks of aging, but it's, you know, it's where a lot of my attention has gone. And I look forward to you guys researching that. I, and I would like to, I'll just throw that out there since you're the co-founder and I. Yeah, well, well, we're, <laughs> Kara, we're, we're very interested in this topic too. And, and so this is something that we do want to take a closer look at in the future and, and try and understand, you know, what is the impact in, in terms of epigenetics if you're taking urolithin A on a regular basis. And, and yeah. as you said, you know, there's, there probably well, will be an impact. And so yeah. uh, we're, we're interested to understand that. Well, I look forward to to hearing what you guys find. I have, I have no doubt it will be, you know, it'll be exciting and interesting. I mean, we're already seeing research on higher polyphenol diets, having, you know, having broad influence on, yes. uh, on gene expression via, you know, certain epigenetic marks. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be an area I'll keep bugging you on whenever I have an ear from, from one of you guys. Fabulous. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me, Chris. It was just a pleasure to, to, to meet you and to, you know, get to pick your brain today. And I look forward to, you know, meeting you in person one of these days. Sure. Well, thanks so much, Kara, for having me. Uh, you know, it's been a fun uh, discussion and yeah, looking forward, uh, you know, to seeing you in person. One of these yeah, days. to be continued. Okay. okay. Ciao, ciao. Bye.